Hey guys, Roshan here from Saturday Selects and I would like to welcome you to Sync. Sync is a new podcast series under Saturday Selects that looks to have a deeper conversation with key people in the creative industry, particularly music, both locally and around the world. The mission of this podcast is to dig into the minds of those behind the scenes and on the front lines of our industry and understand why they do what they do and what makes them tick. Having been involved in the Malaysian music scene for myself for the past 4 years, these people have been major inspirations to a lot of my fellow peers and myself included. But before we begin, I'd like to firstly thank the amazing people at 10 Points Up for jumping on board and collaborating with us and helping us bring the series to life. Collaboration is key and we're going to be speaking more about how important it is in every episode. On this week's episode of Sync We have a guest that has been a guiding figure and mentor to me for the last five years. He's a rapper, a producer, and a filmmaker who's done various projects in Kuala Lumpur and around the world. He's traveled the world, worked with many different artists and creatives, and is currently building a platform to bridge the gap between Tamil hip hop and the mainstream hip hop scene in KL. It's my pleasure to introduce to you our guest this week, Tacmatic. Hey Tag, how's it going man? It's good man. I'm better at all. Chilling. How are you? Not too bad. Bole bole la. Surviving. Mm. So, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah man, thanks for um, having me. I think we're going to have a really nice conversation. We've we've not caught up in a while. Mm. So, I think this is an awesome opportunity for us to catch up and just talk and you know, explore yeah. a little bit about the history of Tacmatic and mm. you know, going forward and what's going on. Mm. But before we kick things off, I would like to like start with the with the memory that i have of the first time watching you perform live mm. and i think that was uh, raising the bar festival 2013 at kl park yeah i saw you on stage with ego i saw you on stage with kiran thomas and i was attending the show as a fan mm. i know i've heard about you guys i used to watch your fly fm strip at the time yeah You always had this vibe when you were rapping on stage you, you you know you commanded the stage you're one of my favorite people to photograph as well I saw a bit of Wiz, a little bit of Mac Miller every time you performed, but you always had that same flavor, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what accentuates the brand Tacmatic. Who were your early influences when you got into hip hop, and how did that develop over time? Well, if you want to go back to like the very beginning, uh, I, I'm sure you're aware that I started off as a battle rapper, yeah. right? and and this was like a key style. Uh, battle MC era. Okay. And this will prove that how ancient I am because this was on MIRC. Do you even know what MIRC no. is? No. <laughs> right. So MIRC if I'm not mistaken is the Microsoft Internet Relay chat. I don't even know, man, but it's MIRC. It's like a it was the birth of hashtags because it was like uh, different channels were were made of different hashtags and okay. it was on this uh, server called Dullnet. Dullnet. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there were different channels. Like there was a hip hop channel. There was like different schools at different channels and whatnot. And this was around the same time as ICQ and MSN okay. and all that. So way back, man. I think this was two thousand three, two thousand four, or even before that. I think. Yeah. Okay. So I was still in school, and uh, so my uh, like sparring partner or like my like step into hip hop was with Aman. Okay. Back then, known as Kraft. I mean, he went by a lot of names back then, <laughs> but uh, Aman, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So we were from the same hometown, and he told me about um, this forum called the Basement 
uh, com. The basement.com was the reason, like, uh, the birth of the underground scene. Okay. Uh, on and I think Joe, not Joe, sorry, Joe met Malik also on MIRC. Wow. Yeah, and um, and then um, there were so many other key style battle MCs all on this forum called the basement, and so that's why we started battling, and it was just typing, <laughs> typing out your lyrics, and then you used to respond, and you had rounds, and so that was the birth of it. So back then, in, to answer your question, it was uh, rappers like Cannabis, okay, yeah, Afura. And like a bunch, of, I can't even remember. My favorite battle MC back then was this dude called Parable, and that was during the birth of uh, Grind Time, okay. which is the battle league back then. So I was heavily influenced by battle rap then, not even so much uh, like actual rappers rap or like hip hop music. And then of course there was Eminem. Okay, yeah. And um, that was that. And uh, and then of course I discovered the local scene with Too Fat and the Water Dilly yeah. album and Poetic Mo and and that's when I was right. like wow that that was the birth of the hip hop fever. So first it started off as just battle rap, right? Okay. And then it was hip hop as a culture, and that's when I started you know everything from breakdancing to graffiti <laughs> to you know I did the whole four elements the whole process, and uh, then yeah it was just evolution of the evolution of you know having different influences and. Experimenting different things, learning to record yourself, learning to produce. Okay. Started producing on Fruity Loops two. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. now it's like FL ten, twelve, twelve. I think okay. yeah. it's FL Studio now. Studio, yeah. yeah. It was Fruity Loops when I downloaded <laughs> it. Yeah, man. So I, yeah, that was the start. That's how it started. For okay. Me. Yeah. I think the art of rhyming is extremely complex, mm-hmm. um, and I can't imagine what key style. Battle mm. rap must have been like typing out your raps on on your computer. Yeah. But starting out, how did you develop your signature style of rap, and but particularly your freestyles? Um. See, back then, I mean, with the birth of the internet, and you really just mirror styles that you were into, right? So I think it was just, it was just that. It was just um, like you create your own like you try to make it relevant to you but you still borrow these different styles and like uh, rhyme schemes from what you hear and, and what you watch and then you try to make it your own that's how that's how I remember doing it okay and uh, yeah it's really just that alright yeah you got your start I mean this started happening in 2003 2004 you started the whole key style rapping on uh, yeah slightly MR. before I think two, slightly three, before uh, yeah around then yeah. but I think I first heard your name um, when you competed in the freestyle champ- Asian Freestyle Championships, was that it in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten? Asian. I mean, I think the birth of battle rap and KL. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure there were battles before, yeah. but like as a league, it was uh, TYGS. Oh, thank you, got skills. Thank you, got yeah. skills. Much props to Vandal, uh, the movement, Cloth and Clef. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a whole season by itself. And that, those weekly shows happening. Yeah, every yeah. Week, it was right? just battles, and it was it was raw. It was live. It was yeah. It was a great time, and we won. I mean, I won a couple of battles. Aman won a couple of battles. This was around like late two thousands. I think two thousand. Oh, wait, I'm trying to remember the timeline. It's all vague now. I think maybe oh nine. Oh nine. Ten. Yeah, this was TYGS time. Okay, so yeah. being in that scene. At the late 2000s and early 2010s, mm-hmm. I think a lot of venues and promoters that started 
liking the culture and enjoying the culture and the culture mm. started growing mm-hmm. they started hosting a lot more parties and battles in Kiel because hip hop was still somewhat an underground sound at the time yeah how did fans of the music and artists like yourself find out about parties at Lust and Cloth and Clef Roots and how did those places become the meeting point for hip hop heads like yourself I wouldn't say the clubs was a meeting point. Okay. I think it was more, of course, uh, the events at Cloth and Clef. Uh, and, and then it became um, Raising the Bar. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the meeting point. So that's the thing. It evolved from that forum online yeah. into an actual live space. Okay. And that happened over the years. And, and in terms of clubs, I think it was more predominantly around the DJs. I think the DJs were doing their rounds. Okay. And that's where people... I think it wasn't so much of the rappers going to, like, meet, but it was just, like, you know, party culture, right? Okay. And hip-hop music was the what everybody bumped to, right, back then. So, yeah, a bit of both. So it's it's definitely the club events was attracted a slightly different crowd. Yeah. And then it were the hip-hop events that uh, took place on a regular, which was Think You Got Skills and yeah. uh, Raising the Bar. Okay. Definitely were the meeting points. Okay. And that's where the fan base grew because that's where they, they knew you, they could find you, right? And if you yeah. released an album or released anything, that would be the place where you... Do an album release yeah, party. Yeah. I remember seeing a video on Ego TV mm. for Jin. I, no, not Jin. I think it was Shen's album launch yes. at Cloth and Clap. Correct, yeah. And we, yeah. I spoke to Jin about it and he was like, how did you even see the video? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. that's like, but you know, Ego TV, it's Correct. somewhere on Facebook. You yeah. just got to find it. Correct. But... Platforms like Raising the Bar and Think You Got Skills mm-hmm. were pivotal platforms mm-hmm. in the development of our local hip-hop scene. Mm. If you recall, one show that was going on at the time called Word, mm. which was a battle show where they put mm. rappers head-to-head with one another. Mm. Do you have a favorite battle from that show? Not really, man. It's not no? one of my proudest moments, to be honest. I think it was a... I mean, much props to ATV for wanting to do that. Yeah. But I just think we could have... Uh, See, the thing about battle rap culture, right? Like, even for me, like, if I could share, like... Yeah, go for it. So, props to Zayn Azrai for making uh, Evil Poet Society a, a battle league. <laughs> yeah. And, like, we've traveled to a couple of places. Uh, we've okay. been to London. We've been to Manila, Australia for battles. Wow. And one thing I, I realized when I was in that room, especially in, in Brixton, London, for this battle, right? For Don't Slop Battles. Okay. And one of the biggest battle leagues. And when you're in a room with 150 people and all 150 people can rap, (laughs) (laughs) you're in a room full of battle rappers, right? And it's a very humbling experience because they started a cypher and and literally everyone in that room were just dropping bars. It was a very humbling experience. And that's when it hit me that to really thrive in in a battle rap environment, you need this this hunger. Right, this hunger to win because you naturally come from a background where you probably don't have much. I, I I just get that sense that everybody in this room is just hungry. If there's money on the line, everybody's there for that money, right? Yeah, is that hunger and that makes you want to put that dedication to to research on this person because at that point it wasn't so much a, a freestyle battle league. It was pre-written. You had to okay. prepare, so you had to research three rounds worth of content to like this this person, right? That's a lot of work. Okay. And you need that that hunger to really to win and thrive in that environment. And I realized I didn't have that. Because to okay. me, battle raps and freestyles was just something second nature that it was fun. Right. That I could do this, you couldn't do it, so I'll fuck you up 
straight up there, okay. right? And that was like the, where I came from. So when I realized I didn't have that hunger, I, I realized there's only so far I could go. So bringing it back to word, I think that didn't really portray battle rap to its fullest because all of us lacked that hunger. I think we were all there because it was more of a show yeah. rather than a, it was a performance rather than a, like a battle. Okay. So I wouldn't say that show really encapsulated the essence of what battle rap was, you know? So that's a, a shame. Okay. But I guess the funnest battle, to answer your question, would have been that two-on-two thing I had against Jin and Sailor. Oh, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some what, zombie battle or something <laughs> like that, yeah. Okay. I think that was fun, but yeah, as a whole, that... Uh, do you know that whole that final battle with me, Aman? Yeah. I don't have the guts to even watch it. I haven't watched it. It's, I actually watched it's it. It's painful. I bet it's painful to watch. It was just, yeah. But I think it had some sort of like significant impact on everyone else because, for seeing hip-hop on TV. Because the only other show at the time, I think, was hip-hop in Asia. Mm. Yeah. Like guess, you, yeah. We, we didn't really have representation of mm. hip hop music on local Malaysian TV, local Malaysian artists. Mm. So I think that was like an, a great platform. Although, yeah. like you mentioned, it wasn't to its fullest battle potential. Mm-hmm. But you met a lot of uh, artists. You had a lot of friends as well who were on word to name a few: uh, Kraft, mm-hmm. Sailor, mm-hmm. Jin, and all these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how impactful was the success? of Run This which was a track that you collaborated with these people as well mm-hmm. to to the guys that were involved in it as well as the hip hop scene at the time because you guys got to perform on a, yeah. a massive stage yeah, like yeah. at an awards yeah. that was ceremony. definitely the peak of that yeah. whole project having to perform that at Shout Awards I think Shout Awards yeah yes. that's what it's called yeah yeah, that was definitely the, the best thing to come out of that because great experience right but as a whole, I think Run This, I mean, much props to Ego for putting that together. Yeah. But I think it really just goes to show the the impact and power of a well-put-together collaboration, you know? And okay. it was the weight of all seven rappers together. Yeah. And at that time, that visual, and it was just a, a share-worthy product, right? Yeah. So it had that, I guess, viral aspect to it. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, it was just a well put together collaboration, and like any collaboration, there's a lot of value in it. Yeah, and having seven rappers come together and and do that is definitely. I don't see how it could fail. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. To have the likes of Sona One mm. on that lineup, and Sela Roshan Jamrock as well, like yeah. you know, a little bit of everybody from all the scenes. You had mm-hmm. Jin as well. Mm-hmm. Was it a difficult process to get everybody involved? Because I'm pretty sure you were helping Ego at the time. Not really. Not really. I think I, I mean, I wasn't even so into doing it. I, just, <laughs> I was just like, sure, why not? Because you know, Edmund's a friend. Sounds fun. Yeah, I was like, sure, why not? I didn't even expect it to turn out the way it did. And okay. It, I mean, of course, I was so impressed when it came out. But uh, no, I think that would be a better question to ask. Uh, Ego? Yeah. Okay. Well, mm. you, you mentioned earlier that you, after learning how to battle rap and mm. getting on the platforms, you got into production and Fruity mm-hmm. Loops mm-hmm. and I think you're one of the very few rappers in KL that know every aspect of their business mm-hmm. from uh, rapping from production to distribution to the business side of your music as well mm-hmm. to releasing your music independently mm-hmm. how important is it for an artist to be multifaceted and know every aspect of their business I think it's very necessary I think it's almost the norm 
Um, I mean, I'm sure there's still labels doing a thing, but as far as rapping goes, or I, I guess being an independent musician, I think it's it's necessary and it's only natural for you to know at least. You don't have to. I mean, if you have a team, yeah. well done. If you can afford a team, that's the way to go. Because you know, doing everything by yourself can get a little taxing, and there's only so far you can go on your own. Yeah. Uh, it's not impossible, but you can. But having a team to to do these things for you definitely will will help. But I think it is the new norm. I think uh, being independent is just uh, the natural way to to create in this given climate and economy. Okay. And when it comes to a certain point where you are making enough money that uh, it's okay to share. Yeah. Then sure, go get a label, <laughs> yeah. get a distribution. You'll, I mean, it'll come naturally. But when you're starting off, it, I think it's only natural okay. to want to do everything on your own, or at least understand how to do it on your own. Was that the case for yourself to like naturally deciding? You know what? I, I need to know every aspect of my business when you started. For out. me, it wasn't even like I I want to know or I need to know. It was just I had to know. Okay. You know, it was just uh, the circumstances were such where I had to do it myself. Because there was no backing of any sort and it was just purely independent, right? So I had no choice but to do it myself. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. We're going yeah. gonna to talk a little bit about uh, some beat tapes. But before we get into that, mm. I wanna, this is a personal question mm. from, uh, from myself. Mm. How did you come up with the name High Society? Because I remember having your merch... <laughs> And I bought it at the Raising the Bar show <laughs> in 2013. And I was like super proud of having that merch, you know. But high like society. the idea of high society, how did that... Mm. The, simple, how did the name? It's a simple thing. So I have an, a, a mild obsession with conspiracy theories. And, okay. And I think everyone did. Yeah. You know, there, there's that rabbit hole of getting into the <laughs> Illuminati when you were like 17, 18. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, a mixture of that of you know that high society illuminati freemason i mean i've read tons of books i i was in that hole <laughs> doing as much research as possible and coupled with uh being influenced by uh smoking weed at okay. that age at the same time and i realized wow high society is both you know that yeah and, like it's a bit of both yeah and then if you realize even the the logo is um the, the eye, the eye, but yeah. it's like a super baked eye. So it was like, <laughs> oh, a, yeah. actually, yeah, it's a bloodshot no, eye. Really, yeah. wow. it's a bloodshot eye in a triangle. So it's high societies on both ends of the spectrum. Okay, wow. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about a couple of beat tapes, mm. and um, I think they've had a significant impact on mm. your career and yourself personally mm. as well. Mm. And maybe you can give us a quick review or yeah. brief on what you thought when you first heard these beat tapes mm. and the first one is OJ and Kush Where's oh shit that was to me my uh, like gates to cloud rap okay so prior to OJ and Kush prior to discovering Wiz I was still all about that you know bars and like coming in on the one like you know not stretching your syllables just straight yeah. up rap right and then when I discovered Wiz I realized how he made that laid back uh, cloud rap kind of vibe a little more appealing okay and also what he spoke about and the choice of beats it really appealed to me okay that that got me into this whole tangent of it really influenced the way I produce beats and even rap and it it got me into a more you know vibey kind of mood and even how I wrote and how I stretched my syllables on, <laughs> on a track 
Okay. Yeah. So that, it kind of helped develop yeah, yeah. a little bit in your into your rap style from your battle sure. rap. Yeah, okay. correct. Because transitioning from that battle rap straight up bars into yeah. making music. So there's this curse that battle rappers are known for that battle rappers cannot make good music. Okay. You know, it's been around and I probably was... Uh, limited by that idea that you know why am I making music I was probably that guy I was probably not even wanting to make music I was okay. just wanting to battle rap and then when I discovered all these appealing tracks yeah. that resonated with me and my lifestyle I was like oh sure let's try doing this okay. and that's how it happened yeah alright what about mm. Jay Dilla's Donuts Donuts Jay Dilla uh, I mean that was that made me fall in love with producing that made me want to okay, make wow. beats even more because back then I was just making beats to to rap on as a, like a battle right like yeah. I used to make a beat just so that I could lay my vocals as a battle for someone as a yeah. diss track that's how I started making beats and then when I discovered Dilla I was like wow making beats is also you know this it's art yeah it's yeah. an art form yeah it's an art form so definitely props to Dilla for making me realize what a beautiful art form beat making is yeah yeah and last but not least Carter the Carter beat tape series by Lil Wayne you mean the mixtapes the uh, mixtapes yeah. yeah um okay so Weezy was um a very pivotal moment in my rapping taste okay or like uh it's just my my palette for rap music kind of expanded when I discovered Lil Wayne and and that it was that transition from again from being just bar for bar uh, very uh, boom bap kind of vibes to the whole slightly more 808-ish electronic side of rap that was the beginning for me you know Uh, this is before trap and all that right this is um, this is like late 2000s yeah. yeah and Lil Wayne was one of those rappers who I still think has like some of the best punchlines. Okay. And so that was it. So that was the the bridge for me when, you know, making like what you would deem, I guess, mumble rap yeah. now. Back then it was like you, you had this block against this a little bit more electronic sounding hip hop sound. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, this is not really boom bap. But then when you hear Lil Wayne drop a punchline that gets you thinking, you're like, whoa, what is this? And you <laughs> <Is> hear more. <laughs> yeah. And then you start, you know, reading his lyrics yeah. and then you realize wow this guy's really dope and then you start listening to him for his lyrics and then you realize subconsciously you are getting a little more tuned to that sound of hip hop you know okay. and then that kind of opened up a lot of more to the the sound yeah it was a very interesting Should progression you? yeah progression yeah okay. with Lil Wayne because his lyrics got you listening to that kind of music and then you okay. started liking that kind of music and then you just started discovering a whole yeah finding other new artists rather than just being stuck on that whole Mm. boom bap you know kind of vibe okay Mm. well the beat tapes I mentioned are amongst some of the many that have influenced rappers around the world and Mm. definitely rappers locally like yourself yeah and I feel like a lot of Malaysian artists try and emulate this whole western style of rap that comes a lot from the US and Europe but at the end of the day they forego developing a Malaysian identity to, to their rap music mm-hmm. why do you think that this is happening and what can Malaysian rappers do more to have a Malaysian flavor in their music okay so that's a pretty dense question yeah um, I we think can take it layer by layer <laughs> yeah, like yeah I think for lapis. starts I just want to highlight that we're at uh, one of the best times for Malaysian hip hop 
for a lot of reasons and mainly because uh, how Malay rap is huge now. Yeah. Right? And I think in sense of just that, it is a huge achievement. We've come a long way for Malay rap to be where it is today. And so much so, I, I'm seeing even like things online where people are saying like, oh, if you don't rap in Malay and if you're rapping in English, I might as well listen to. And that is so true. And that is so true because um, I think as much, I mean, the two sides to the story, but I think there's, there's truth in that. And it's okay for somebody to say that because if you really want to embody your culture, then that's the way. I mean, if you speak Malay on a daily, and you, then you should rap in Malay. Yeah. And if you speak Tamil on a daily, then you should rap in Tamil. But I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't rap in English. You yeah. can, but if you want to be real, if you want to portray yourself on a track, yeah. then you have to, to rap in your native language, right? But that aside... I think it's uh, Dan's question because it, it goes back to being what it means to be Malaysian to begin with, right? Okay. And to me, at least, uh, being Malaysian is, is a lot of things because we're a diverse nation with a lot of cultures and, and um, some may say borrowed cultures, mm-hmm. maybe a little sensitive, but, um, but I think, yeah, there is truth in it. And yeah. I think for the longest time, um, we kind of associated progress with emulation okay. and I think there is where the problem started and it's a gift and a curse because it was progress you did improve you did become go out of your box but at the same time over the time it would hold you back right and I think for the longest time it held us back because when you emulate and when and I remember there was a time when when you if you sounded like another rapper if you sounded like Drake that means you're you're dope you're good or oh, this okay. dude sounds just like this oh he's good but um, I don't think that that is the way to go. I think it holds you back in the bigger picture, right? So when you look back at Malaysian culture where everything is, uh, you can't really claim your own. Like if you want to talk about food, like maybe nasi lemak is like the only thing we can truly mm-hmm. own. Yeah. If you want to talk like, oh, we have the best Indian food, you can't really say that because, you know, there's Indian food from yeah. India and then Chinese food, Chinese food from China. And it's very few things that we can really claim to be Malaysian. And uh, that is, again, both a gift and a curse. And I think that has kind of, like, we projected that into the music we made as well. Like, a lot of the things we made were just, like, uh, very highly influenced from whoever you were listening to or whatever you... And me, myself, right? I was so influenced by Wiz, I started sounding like Wiz. And then I know a bunch of rappers who all sounded like Drake at one point. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it was only natural, but it's about being aware of it. Yeah. And then once you progress by emulation, yeah. is to then look within. I think it's very important to start looking within and then finding what you truly stand for and who you truly are and finding that sound and, and claiming it and owning it. Okay. I, think, I think ownership is a very, uh, is a, it's something that was lacking in, in the Malaysian scene because you couldn't really own something that isn't yours, you know? Okay. So now with the birth of, I mean, not to say the birth, but with Malay rap being where it is right now, yeah. I think you'll find more genuine uh, styles. Okay. And I can't wait for, for that, for people to come up with their own styles. I mean, they already are. Yeah. But to see that evolve into even more something core within that has not been out there already, you know? Okay. Yeah. I think this gives an opportunity as well for 
uh, Chinese rap music, Tamil rap music. Mm. You know, you have amazing artists like Dato Mo. Yeah, he's doing yeah. amazing Chinese rap. He's made it into the Levi's mm. uh, searching, uh, yeah. finding the artist thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Balin mm. doing Tamil rap, Dan Shiv mm-hmm. doing Tamil rap. And you've had your own personal experience and journey being involved in um, Tamil rap music in mm-hmm. Malaysia as well. Mm-hmm. And your recent release has been with Balin Kashmir, mm-hmm. Lighter. Mm. This song caught on like wildfire, wildfire, mm. no pun intended at all. But yeah. there is a missing link between the artists who are putting out Tamil rap music mm. and the large hip hop audience that does exist in Malaysia. Mm. How can we, mm. as artists and music consumers, mm-hmm. bridge that gap? And the platform that you've recently been part of, All mm. Day, mm-hmm. does that help or factor in in any way towards bridging this gap? Mm, again, it's a pretty dense question, and you have to go back to like how it started. Yeah. Like I can speak for Tamil rap. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure you're aware, Valavin. Yeah, of course. That was like the. I mean, the very first Tamil rap song, as far as I know, is Better Rap, Better Rap, oh, which yeah. is the Air Raman thing, right? And uh, as far as hip hop and Tamil and having the first Tamil hip hop album was Valavin. Uh, Yogi B and Nachitra yeah. and that album was so impactful that it shaped the the culture of Tamil rap in India itself wow. right okay and and what we need to understand is the impact of that that still lasts till today yeah. again it's, it's a lot of gifts and curses here <laughs> yeah. because uh, one rapper that Dr. Burn yeah right and he I think has influenced what Tamil rap should be in to such an extreme so you know in Tamil there's the the spoken Tamil yeah I, I guess in a lot of languages there's the spoken language and then there's the the clean news cast mm-hmm. reading yeah. Tamil right so Dr. Burn and, and Yogi Nachichoy they, they went on that route which was the very clean uh, proper Tamil right okay. which is a lot more poetic a lot more I think it's harder to rap too okay and that was great because it appealed to even like the slightly elder listeners like you could play that for your mom yeah. too right and that kind of shaped everything in India as well okay. like everyone started following that form of rapping in Tamil and then that lasted for so long that it started getting stale okay right and and we needed something fresh and and that started becoming a limitation like even for me I can give myself an ex- as an example like all this while I never rapped in Tamil because I couldn't speak that clean Tamil that okay. uh, the official Tamil right? yeah. and because of that I set this limitation on myself where I told myself that I'm never going to rap in Tamil because I can never speak like that I can, which means I can never even rap like that so I'm not going to even go there wow. and okay. for that lasted for what 10 years of my life I was like no I'm never going to do this because Dr. Byrne and Nachitra set that bar yeah. of what Tamil rap so in my head Should I was like be. oh yeah that's what Tamil rap is so even I fell victim to this this idea of what Tamil rap should be like okay and then over the years, very recent, and I started hanging out with rappers in India. Okay. And they started complaining about this this issue. It's okay. like this they call it soul essay, right? It's something that like Dr. Burn comes <laughs> yeah. And they I mean props to Dr. Burn. I think he's amazing, he's one of the best Tamil rappers. Yeah. But I think we have to acknowledge that kinda what he created was such a impactful thing that he also limited a lot of people because uh, like myself included, because I never wanted to rap in Tamil and and now, once we realize that, you know what, Tamil can actually be a lot more simple. Like, we can just 
rap in the spoken Tamil. Yeah. And not many people really did that. And and now we can see a lot of rappers coming up, like even Chennai, like in North Madras. Yeah. Much props to Asal Kola. Like I think he's finally, because I think India was plagued by Yogi Benachitra. Everybody mm-hmm. wanted to sound like them. That wow. now they're finally realizing to look within and realize that once they start rapping in their own dialect. Yeah. Because India is so diverse within its its own, right? Like you travel two thousand kilometers in any direction, it's a completely different culture language. Wow. So they start started looking within their own culture and, and having that on the tracks and started rapping with their own culture and, and that is a lot more fresh it's way doper and I think it's only starting and I'm excited to see where it goes from there and with Laita since you asked yeah. Laita I think that was a, again for me at least it was me rapping in Tamil yeah. because I took that block out of my my system I was like you know Tamil doesn't have to be this clean Tamil I can just rap in the little Tamil words that I know okay and that turned out into Laita nice and and, and it happened because we really wanted to embody the diaspora of Malaysian Indians okay you know? right. because you know we have our own dialects we have our own words we mix Malay with our Tamil and that's a culture of its own that's been around for years, but no one has really documented that yeah. that culture. Okay. And that's what All Day was meant to be. Like when we were, me and Edmund were talking about it, we were like, okay, All Day needs to represent the Malaysian Indian. And, right. uh, and bridge that gap. Uh, yeah, I guess bridge that gap. But more than anything, it was to really document. Document. Document okay. with our style of documentation, with our aesthetics, right. but yeah. really document... Because if you look deep, at the end of the day, who I am, who I am, is, we're just Malaysian Indians. Like, yeah. What are you? Like, if you were to go represent somewhere outside, the realest form you are is a Malaysian Indian. And you That's can't true. run away from that. Yeah. And when you ask yourself, what is a Malaysian Indian? You can't run away from these words you speak <laughs> or like how you speak it or like just what you do or how you dance. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's beautiful in its own way. And yeah. it's a shame that there's a lack of documentation yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and representation representation as well yeah yeah so it all stems from that it stems from looking within okay and I think for the longest time all of us were looking out this is what I have to sound like this is what I have to sound like oh, I need to sound mm-hmm. like this I need to portray myself like this yeah and then once we stop doing that and start looking within and start documenting what you realize you are and yeah. putting that out I think that's when you really can create your sound or be original and find yourself yeah, as well yeah, develop your own style yeah you speak a lot about India and mm. you know, over the four or five years that we've mm. known each other I know that you travel a lot you've had crazy experiences throughout Europe Asia America but there is a certainty when I say this that India has a special place in your heart what is it about the country that captured your attention and made you want to focus your yourself on India especially last year or the past two years I mean what can I say to India is dope it's huge it is there's no one word to I mean yeah tourism tagline is incredible India it's because <laughs> it really is there's, just, there's no way to really define what India is it's just too rich in culture and so many different cultures and languages and styles and is I think it's limitless what India can come up with if they really get their shit together, and it's and it's and it's happening. I see it happening. I see sprouts of like uh, Indian rappers and cultures doing their own thing. I mean, there's still a bunch of them who are still trying to do something that they're not. 
Okay. And then there are a bunch of them who are realizing like, oh, let's just be ourselves and and that's really dope. I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. Which it's, cities have you been to that has shown incredible potential in India? I mean, every city I've been to definitely has their own potential. Okay. I mean, of course, in the north, the the whole gully rap thing yeah. is huge. And I mean, to me, it's gully rap is so huge, but it isn't even the dopest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about India. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there's so much doper like acts other than this gully rap thing that okay. is yet to be discovered. And I'm still underground. Yeah, and and it's in due time you will not be able to deny it anymore. And I think every culture has that that process, right? You have yeah. the the masses. Yeah. You go through the whole commercial thing, then that will die off. Then everybody's like, okay, now what? So yeah. every, when everybody's at that now what stage, and then you see all this young Things talent sprouting and young, up. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think India is only just starting. Uh, as far as an underground scene goes, like even in Chennai, which is something I'm, uh, I mean, a place I'm more familiar with, okay, that isn't really an independent scene. It's it's far more worse than Malaysia too, oh, I would wow. say, yeah, and because they are primarily on uh, the Hollywood industry, right, yeah. which is the the one that pays the bills, the one yeah. you know, is where the money right? is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just straight up for them. It's black and white, right? It's like, oh, if you want to do this for a living, you got to do it that way. Right, okay. Because they have that option. Ah, uh, okay. For us, I think we are better <laughs> because we didn't have that option. <laughs> yeah. You know you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. So, yeah. So, yeah. Again, it's always that gift and a curse. So it's good that they had an option, but it yeah. also limits them from... In the long run. In the long run, yeah. Besides India, with your travels that you've gone through, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, America, mm. which are the other cities, like three other cities, that their music culture has really attracted you? that you've experienced in that city like connecting with producers I don't know I mean like in terms of music and my travels like I I didn't really connect with producers but just experiencing Cuba Cuba wow okay (laughs) and and seeing like hints of hip hop on the streets wow yeah I think that was like the a very inspiring moment to see because in Cuba it's so disconnected right there's like barely any internet nobody has like phones I would think it's a more jazz Uh, yes I think that's what I imagine it was very Latin kind of vibes right but then when I saw like people rapping on the street I was like wow that's that you know that really inspired me and also goes to show like how influential hip hop has been, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like in the, one of the most disconnected countries yeah. <laughs> in the world, and mm-hmm. hip hop is still there. Yep. What about Sydney? You met uh, a, f- a friend that is now a common friend for the both of us. You know, how was it like connecting with Ay? Oh, I mean Ay. <laughs> uh, I mean he's doing his thing. He's <laughs> dope. Um, Flowfire, right? That's yeah, Flowfire, Anandu. Yeah, Flowfire's been around for a minute. Yeah, I think, dude, this, like, I think they've been around even before I discovered the future beats and so like the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, they've been doing it for a while. Um, I mean, meeting AY was very brief. Yeah. Um, again, Sydney has its heavy underground hip hop yeah, culture. Crazy underground yeah, crazy underground hip hop culture. Huge, but then on the like the mainstream thing, it's a very few of them make it to the mainstream. Yeah. And again, because it. The same thing in India, I mean, in Malaysia, right? I think it's very similar in the sense that because the mainstream thing wasn't such a uh, a huge thing that it could, you know, make you set for life that yeah. the underground scene could exist, you know? Yeah. 
because again in in Australia despite having amazing talent there yeah. they still exported i mean imported music from the overseas, states overseas yeah. it's still english music right yeah. so yeah we can kind of compare ourselves to australia malaysian and australians have similar problems in that sense okay yeah because when you speak english and then when you make english music you have no choice but to compare with hollywood and yeah. and the billboards okay right earlier earlier this year you were in india for a bit hmm. and just to speak Get, uh, like continue off speaking on India earlier mm. uh, when you came back mm. you had to quarantine yourself in Kel yeah. for 14 days yeah. at a hotel yeah. and uh, you were making music and getting food delivered to you the mm. whole works mm. how was that experience like for you and how has the past 9 months been for you too mentally and physically wow um good to say the least okay I think I mean also because of where I am right now with with music and my career in music is where I'm at a very comfortable space where I'm no longer dependent on music for money right so I don't make music for as like a a, a source of living right and I think that's the most like it's the freedom the sense of freedom I get from that is is something I don't want to lose like I never want to like get signed to a label or like have a deadline or i mean i mean there are pros and cons to what i'm saying but this yeah. is just a personal choice where the last 9 months where i'm just purely making or creating from a space that is so free that i just create when i feel like creating and i don't have any box or sound or anyone i want to sound like i'm just exploring whatever i want yeah. and creating whatever i want rapping about whatever i want and I felt that yeah and that's something that I don't want to lose like this this space that I'm creating from is like the best space to create from right and I think the past 9 months and this whole pandemic has taught me that uh that this is it okay like I would spend the rest of my life just doing this creating from this space wow yeah can we expect a uh, a pandemic uh inspired project coming out yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it more of beats or more of you rapping? Uh, it's a bit of both. both. Yeah, with visuals as well. There's wow. So much unreleased stuff I haven't put out. Uh, <laughs> so that's the thing with me, like creating music, I can do it whenever I want, but yeah. putting it out is it's a whole a different story. Different story. <laughs> yeah. But what hinders you from putting it out like almost immediately after making this music? It's a it's a personal problem. It's okay. a it's something I need to work on, which is just this idea of letting it go. Okay. You know, I suffer from things of not being good enough. They're never good enough. And uh it's something I'm working on and um yeah, hopefully I get over it and then I get to share it with the world. Yeah. But I mean, I have been putting out one or two songs here and there which yeah. is like whatever. And even all day like if it wasn't for ego, <laughs> yeah, you would have never <laughs> you would have never heard that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this pandemic has put a lot of people out of jobs and mm. into some seriously tough in- situations. Mm. A lot of our previous guests that we've spoken to as well, you mm. know, they went through yeah. um a mental, you know, state of mind mm. throughout this pandemic. Mm. But in my opinion, creatives like yourself that mm. wear multiple hats could mm-hmm. move into an other into other areas of creativity like mm-hmm. you do videography, you do graphic yeah. design as well yeah. and you know, yeah. if these people were more multi-skilled that they would be able to sustain themselves through the situation. Mm. How beneficial is it in the long run for individuals in any industry 
to diversify their skill sets? I mean, to me, this is a very subjective question. Yeah. It really depends on the individual. Okay. But you what know, about for yourself? For myself, I'm grateful. Like, I'm grateful that I was able to monetize off doing different things. Yeah. And that freed up my space to create music specifically for myself right yeah. and and now it's a privilege and i and i cannot just speak about this without acknowledging this privilege because yeah. not everyone can have this privilege right yeah. and uh but if they do and if they are capable of making music just for the sake of making music yeah then just take a step back and and remember and remind yourself that you're doing this not for money and that you're doing this for yourself yeah. and create from that space and I think that would be a very interesting process for that person to experience. Okay. But as the whole pandemic has impacted the whole scene and industry, I mean, it's just un unfortunate. And, you know, there's this whole conversation of how even government officials... Unhelping. ...deem, you know, the arts as not essential. Yeah. Just that statement in itself is a reflection of the nature where of things at. yeah where we are and and it's it's not something you and I can like just fix this overnight yeah it is it is a battle that the arts has been facing for for dude for the Ages, history of time. I can't Ages, imagine yeah, yeah yeah and but if anything with the internet now and the way things are it should be easier for us yeah compared to imagine if you're just a guitarist and a busker busking in the streets yeah you know now you can just I don't know go online and still make some money if not if you're not able to go out to the streets right so i think again this whole period it should force evolution okay. evolution was is something natural but i think because of our level of comfort pre-pandemic yeah that i think a lot of people did not want to evolve that okay. they got very comfortable and denied evolution right and i think if anything this pandemic uh, would have put them in a position where they cannot deny it anymore. Yeah, and I think that is some good in this this whole thing. But it takes a lot of work, and uh, it's self work to you know really discover what you want. And also, I think it even more so now collaborations are even more important. Like you know, it's so important to to work together and and create something. Like there's so much talk about. You know, creating art in the the crypto field of yeah. things. You know, with NFTs and and uh, so many different options. I mean, it's all very new and very. Uh, I mean, it's something you cannot really depend on. Yeah. But it's at least a, a path that you can look towards to to evolve to and 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 also finding value like in in different ways you can like add value because business i mean if you want to do things for money again it's you, it's either you solve problems or you add value right yeah. and if you're making music for money yeah it goes back to that is either you add value or you solve a problem with your music right and uh otherwise it's just gonna be you can't just sit here and wait and hope things go back to normal because that's again denying evolution you know yeah yeah all right. Well, you spoke a little bit about the gov how the government deemed the arts and culture sector of our country mm -hmm. as non-essential. Mm -hmm. The government today announced, D uh, specifically DBKL, saying that um, nightclubs and bars can reopen, mm -hmm. but with uh, new SOPs in place, mm -hmm. they're allowed to become cafes and yeah. restaurants, yeah. but without live events and DJs. <laughs> yeah. 
I think what that Zook defeats stopped, the purpose yeah, of the reopening Zook into a bowling alley. <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. but like we see, I'm not too sure about that, but mm. I really like what Zook Singapore did. Mm. They converted the entire space into a gym, a cycling mm. space. Like people can go to cycling. Yeah, yeah. like making the space multi-purpose. Mm. But with the government asking nine clubs and bars mm-hmm. to convert and become restaurants and cafes, and still not allow DJs and live events. I feel that that's going to kill our creative market. Don't you think? Yes and no. Okay. I think uh first of all it's just a political thing and it's unfortunate <laughs> that this industry has to fall victim to just political agendas, you yeah. know. And it's unfortunate no doubt, but I think it's also happening on a global scale. Scale, yeah. Right? So, I think again, I mean, yeah, we can feel sorry for ourselves or we could just find different ways to to go about it like for instance you mentioned zook turning it into a like a gym right yeah, so that decision space. was clearly made on a, a business aspect yeah as a as a business as a venue they needed to generate income and that seemed like the best way to generate income and that decision was made not for music it wasn't no. made for musicians yeah. it was made for the business yeah. right so now as a musician you need to think like are you uh, a business or are you a musician okay. so you need to first determine what you are first okay. so as a business you have to make completely different decisions, decisions. Yeah. but as a musician you have to make even more different decisions so i think that a lot of people are caught in between being a business and a musician yeah. and then they suffer right but you if you are able to draw those boundaries and be able to distinctively tell whether you're a musician or am i making this decision as a musician or am i making this decision as a business right. or am i denying myself of this evolution as a musician or as a business as a business yeah and then if you can see that separation i think your decision making process will be a little bit more clearer wow yeah. okay actually i completely agree with you i never looked at it that way either like yeah. having yeah. that segmentation of treating yourself either as a business first yeah. or a musician yeah. first and making decisions based yeah. on that. Correct. It's very important especially during times like this. Yeah. Because you know a lot of musicians are going to complain say oh the government is not helping no, us how, nothing. We're still hearing that like yeah. Nine yeah. but I know friends who just got grants. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. Where where were these grants from like Chandana yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay. So they I mean it's not not helping. It's just obviously Malaysia suffers from a lot of you know bureaucratics and fucking yeah. lobbying and all that. But if there's a will there's a way and again as a business you can't sit here and complain the government is not helping yeah as a business you if you really want to make that money you can go out and get that money yeah as a musician is different mm-hmm. so you need to really like i said you need to make that distinction Dis- yeah distinction yeah. yeah okay well we're seeing a lot of these dj's and uh, live performers coming back into clubs and bars overseas you know mm. particularly tokyo china mm. wuhan mm. um in europe as well Uh, and there's been SOPs in place at these venues with mm-hmm. health compliances being pretty strict at some of these places. Like they're putting like a transparent sheet in front of the DJs, yeah, yeah. standing tables like three meters apart. Mm. Having been in the entertainment industry for over ten years, mm. do you think that our nightlife industry can sustain this pandemic? I think that's a different question. It's not a question of whether. the nightlife can survive the pandemic i think is a question whether humanity can survive the can pandemic can humanity survive this yeah pandemic? i think for sure i think we we already you know talking about the vaccine i mean it's a different conversation yeah. <laughs> but we will get over this but it's going to take time and 
I think if you're, I mean, in any crisis, there's always opportunity. I'm yeah. sure you're aware of that, right? And even as a musician, as a venue or anything in this crisis, I mean, it's easier said than done. Yeah. But I think you can find opportunity to to create something uh, different or something, or just a way to experience nightlife in a different way. I don't know. I mean, I don't have the answers, but yeah. I'm just saying that... Um, I mean, being hopeful in the sense that not to just play victim. Yeah. I mean, we are all we are all victims, victims already. Of this. But it's yeah. it's just if you want to talk progress and moving forward, then the first step is to stop being the victim, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's not a matter of whether nightlife can survive with a screen in front of the DJ. It's whether humanity can survive with this virus. Yeah. And then once people, I mean, think about it. We are already going out. We're already doing this. Yeah, we're doing this. So the, the only thing that's stopping us from going out and having a party is the government. Is the yeah. law. So the pandemic isn't the enemy anymore. It's the government. It's the government. Wow, yeah, it's the okay. laws. Yeah. All right. Well, this pandemic uh, gave birth to a lot of uh, new producers, new artists, mm. um, people doing different things and exploring different businesses. And mm. I think. Um, that included yourself as well because you launched uh, you haven't really announced it yet mm. but your new moniker that mm. goes by the name of Kudoshi could mm. you tell us a bit more about that yeah so in this whole process of uh, introspection during this pandemic <laughs> yeah. um, I realized how like you know we get so attached to an image and or an idea and and I was, if there's anything, if, if anyone were to ask me what I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about freedom. And I think being able to destroy, to recreate is my epitome wow. of like freedom. And ideally, I just want to be able to like destroy this, this tagmatic name and this Instagram <laughs> account, like whatever, <laughs> how many ever care followers I have to just let it go. Like just yeah. close it, be, be able to close it all, destroy it and then start something completely new fresh that nobody has heard of and see and not even see what happens but just be able to do that okay. because if I do it once I can do it again and I can yeah. do it over and over again right and it's more of an experiment it's more of a learning curve for me and, and, and I'm, I'm happy to share that with the world with this brand Kudoshi and, and of course I'm rapping about different things the whole vibe is different okay and uh, yeah it's more it's more for me <laughs> to know whether I'm able to let go okay. and destroy and recreate. So this is like your process. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's more of, it's a growth. It's evolution. Evolution. And yeah. I think the key word today definitely has been like evolution. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so, to yeah. to be able to evolve is to be able to let go. So yeah. by being able to let go of, because what is tagmatic? I mean, of course you have fractions of memories of me performing here and yeah. there, and then all you have now is just maybe like YouTube searches or some random videos, yeah, or all my Instagram account, yeah. right? That's it. So what if I remove these things? There so goes your digital footprint. Yeah, my digital <laughs> footprint is gone. And as much as that, some people will be like, "What? Oh my god! Like I just lost everything." But to me, it's like, "Wow, I just <laughs> I'm free. I'm free." Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. Okay. Mm. Well, before we end, what can we expect from Tacmatic and Kudoshi going into 2021 and beyond? Um, I think, I mean, as far as Kudoshi goes, it is just a, a reflection of self. Okay. Right? And uh, I'm being a lot more vulnerable 
uh, I'm sharing things that matter to me and it's not so much I mean the whole tagmatic thing for the longest time it was just a uh, battle rapper and then it was like oh pussy money weed uh, it's my lifestyle <laughs> like money fuck bitches and that was fun while it lasted yeah. it was a lot easier to rap about those things and now it's getting a little harder and I like that you know, okay. to be a little bit more woke or conscious with your raps is a little bit more it takes a lot more effort to write and I like that challenge and also sonically you know I'm experimenting with so many different like uh, frequencies and instruments and sounds and just that whole sonic experience is very different than just making a rap beat and uh, laying vocals on it right Yeah. so it even pushes me on like my engineering skills or production skills and and then comes the visual element of it where I'm experimenting with different you know visuals and it's more of a it's more a cohesive experience rather than just making a beat and laying vocals in it you know okay so i think there's more depth to to what i do now okay and yeah I'm excited about that. Nice. Can we expect some new music before the year ends? Or are you yeah, I got. I mean, as oh, far yeah? as all day goes, there yeah. are a bunch of all day tracks coming out. Coming out. All right. See, that's the thing with me. Like, as far as Kudoshi is all, um, I'm ready to let go of Techmatic. Yeah. I think I'm part of me being able to do it is because there's this all day thing, which okay. is still like my playground to do like the fun, easy stuff. Yeah. And uh, which kind of ex- makes me uh, a little lot easier to like let go of. Uh, the tagmatic thing you know alright yeah awesome mm. tag thank mm. you so much for coming by yeah, and having this conversation with us yeah thanks keep for updated me. with tag on his instagram keep while updated with while it lasts <laughs> and then you know if you're following him right now you'll get an update <laughs> once the new instagram account starts don't forget to follow all day as well yep. they're really bringing some awesome tamil rap based content mm. coming to you representing malaysian indians Tak, once again, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. It's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. All right. See you soon, guys. Bye.